Hello, and welcome to The Green Team, the spin-off podcast where patrons of the Legendarium talk about the books and topics the main crew haven't gotten around to yet. I'm Befuddled Panda, your host for today's show. Joining me is Little Red Book. Hello. And Eridandis. Hi, guys. On today's episode, we will be discussing our thoughts on the book World War Z by Max Brooks. I know. What are we doing talking about a pandemic during a pandemic? If that is not your thing, don't listen to this episode. We will start out the episode spoiler-free and give a warning before moving into spoilers. All right. So what is World War Z about? Maybe you've seen the movie or at least the trailer. Maybe the Z gives it away. Yes, this book is about zombies. But it's also not a zombie book exactly. What does that mean? Well, we'll get into it later. First, a synopsis. World War Z is a collection of interviews with survivors of the zombie apocalypse. Max Brooks writes the book as if he's a journalist in this fictional version of our world that experienced a very real zombie war. We hear the stories of what happened and how people fared years after, quote-unquote, the Great Panic occurred. As Max calls it... It's a record of the greatest conflict in human history. Okay, a quick disclaimer for this episode and book. There are a lot of politics, as you can imagine, and potentially sensitive issues in this book. And obviously there's gore. We will not be discussing the world and domestic politics portrayed in the book. Mainly we'll be focusing on the writing, storytelling, and our experiences reading it. With that said, let's kick it off. Uh, first question I have for the group, how would you describe this book to someone? Uh, <laughs> Little Red, any, any thoughts there? <laughs> I have no thoughts. Um, so I would start off by saying this is not a zombie book. It's a book that has zombies in it. Um, mm -hmm. I love zombies. I love zombies and vampires are my two favorite monsters. And I, they're just, I really enjoy that sort of thing. But this is not a zombie book. This is a book with zombies. And it's a book about how different types of systems, and this is, you were talking about political, how different types of um, bureaucracies and systems interact with um, a global crisis mm -hmm. and how things break down and how things don't break down and um, how bureaucracy fails or does not fail um mm -hmm. and it's and it's fascinating it's a it's a hmm. it's the zombie war is the framing to discuss the issues the book talks about okay and and it's a really fun framing i really like the framing i don't know how you guys feel about it so <laughs> well, we'll definitely get into that one uh how about era how how would you describe this book to someone good question so i would describe it as um a war correspondent relating a uh, fragments of of how a war started, how it was, uh, how the people on the ground were affected by it, and the aftermath. So just in the same way, like a real life war correspondent and his stories, this is basically a fictional account of it, and that's how I read it, and that's kind of how I felt about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something to note about this book is that there's not really a main character. Like Max Brooks himself is the constant quote-unquote character throughout, but he's the interviewer, right? Um, 
And it's not about him. It's about all the people he's talking with. And there's also not like a main plot. Uh, like Era said, it's there's or uh, Red and Era said, it's like there's this framing of the zombie war. And so it's more about the major event in this world's history. And that's the quote unquote plot. There's um there's also a fully cast narrated audiobook for this and Max Brooks narrates uh the interviewer himself. There are many big names like Alan Alda, Mark Hamill, Martin Scorsese. Uh did you listen to the audiobook or read the physical or both? I did both. And actually I love, love the audiobook except it is abridged and you have to actually buy two audiobooks there is a note to be made about the audiobook there are two editions there's the abridged version which little red found first um and there are two parts to the abridged so there's like you know one half of it's like a collection of the major stories and then there's a second part that has the rest of the stories from the book but there is a fully unabridged version which is about 12 hours um and the audiobook and the physical physical book do have some differences, mainly like the audiobook um, has bits of the stories cut out or some really short stories that are skipped altogether. But I don't think you miss anything really critical going the no. audiobook route. Um, there's just more in-world details with the physical book. And I, I mean, I listened to the audiobook and read the physical, usually at the same time, but sometimes just one or the other. And I'm not trying to knock the audiobook at all. Like it is excellently done. It is just top quality work. It is really fun. Yeah. All the different uh, actors and actresses. What about you, Era? Did you did you listen to the audiobook at all? No. Really, I mean, I'm normally not an audiobook person, but from y'all, from the description of it, it sounds fascinating. Um, I read the physical <laughs> copy and um, I'm so happy I read the physical copy. For me, one of the real pleasures of reading this book was the way it was physically constructed and kind of how he framed each page, footnotes in there, and the footnote kind of, it gave, he used the footnote as a means to create his really, really uh, clever way to do his world building. So at least for me, I read it physically and I enjoyed it so much. Yeah, so about the footnotes, uh, I, I do want to dive into the like writing style, the stylistic choices um, a, a little bit later. Uh, but first, what were your expectations before reading this book? And then high level, when you did start reading it, was it what you were expecting? And Era, I want to start with you because... When I had pitched this book in our Utopias and Dystopias topic episode, by the way, great episode to check it out, um, <laughs> you said that you did not like, you know, zombie literature and media. Can you tell us more about why that is and what convinced you to read this book and do this episode with us? In general, I don't like the zombie genre, don't like many of the tropes. So generally when you go into, uh, into a zombie book or movie, there's certain expectations. It's going to be a survivalist book. It's going to involve a lot of gore. Um, there's going to be explicit scenes of people getting eaten. So there's that element of horror. Um, 
So there's kind of like that, that level one part. Then there's the kind of like the bigger themes. In zombie books, you're generally talking about some type of inevitability, something that's not under control, whether it's nuclear catastrophe or whether it's a pandemic um, or xenophobia, because it doesn't necessarily have to be something good, right? As uh, some type of anxiety, social anxiety that's kind of spun out of control. So that's the only aspect of the zombie genre I like, but generally it's a level one stuff that I just, I can't like it. It's just, it's just not my cup of tea. So what convinced me to read it? Well, what convinced me to read it was YouTube. Um, I like both of you. You both insisted that this is not the typical zombie book. So I'm like, you know what? If they tell me to read it, I will reluctantly give it a go. Um, I opened up the book, and the very first thing I noticed was that it was less than 300 pages. Um, <laughs> as you guys know, I'm a huge fan of short books, right? Um, I like if it's concise and well-written, I like it, right? And this book kind of met that standard. It's short. Every, he, Max, uses every word to an effect. So the way he has words on the page, the way he styled it, the way he framed it, he spun it away from it really being a zombie. Zombies are really more in the background than a major part of the story. Um, it's all about people's reactions to it. So some of it, like there were some parts of it that I liked less than others, but the overall theme of kind of like how people responded and um, just the, the overall social uh, effects of it on the society, that's, that's what I liked about the book. Nice. Sorry, I got long-winded. No, it's fine. Um, yeah, and, you know, depending on the edition of the books, it may or may not be less than 300 pages. <laughs> I just but yes, it's pretty short. Yeah, it's 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 fairly short, and the interview format makes it go by really quickly. Uh, what about you, Red? What were what were your expectations, and then um, did it did it meet your expectations? Uh, no, because I watched the movie for my sins, <laughs> um, which is not a good movie. It's it's not a bad movie. It's just like everything that Era was saying. It's it it, it doesn't say anything interesting. And then spoilers for the movie, kind of. There's a zombie in the airplane that's been hiding in the elevator of the, or the the um, dumbwaiter of the airplane the entire flight, and he doesn't show up until the end. And it, it's just like, really, that's just it's dumb. Um, no, and and it was uh, it did not meet my expectations. It was it exceeded them. Um, mm. and it was it was doing something completely different than most zombie books do mm -hmm. and i don't want to retread this too much but it it's social commentary and not just in the political sense but um how different people react to things differently so you get an interview of a girl who is basically a feral child she was mm -hmm. eight when it broke out and she's in a mental institution um because of what happened to her and they found her like i don't know a few years after the initial outbreak you get this really cool Japanese dude who's blind, who like mm -hmm. was out meditating in the forest when the zombie outbreak happened. You get these um, Chinese submariners. Mm -hmm. who, you just get all these different fascinating groups and they're all dealing with things differently. And yeah, so it was a lot of fun and also made you think. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, the 
the exploration of the psychological, the physical, the social, economic, mm-hmm. uh, environmental. Yeah, there's it, it gets explored from all sorts of different angles. I was first recommended this book by a former coworker, and you know, I I love to read, hence why I'm here on a book podcast. Uh, <laughs> he noticed that I always had a book with me, and he asked me if I had ever read World War Z, and I had not. And he said it was his favorite book and that I should read it. So I was like, okay. The passion in his voice, though, for it, that's what got me. And I was really intrigued. Could a book about zombies really be that amazing? Because, like, zombie is not my genre. Horror is not my genre. So I, I was, I had my doubts going in. But I kept an open mind, and when I read the first paragraph of the introduction, I knew this was not going to be what I expected. And then after that, it was just like, wow, going in and just discovering um, what Max Brooks created with this book. So sounds like we all uh, just went in with different expectations and came out with pleasantly surprised that this is my second time reading the book um for for this episode um and i still enjoyed it um on the second read so i just want to stop on that i just want to make one quick point um for those of you who want to read the book because when the fuddle said when i read that first paragraph i knew it was going to be a different book the joy of reading this book is you could just breeze right through it and it's an awesome just quick read or you can sit there and read it chapter by chapter, just kind of absorb what uh, the author's trying to say. And it's great either way. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I agree. agree. Yeah, it's a fun surface level read. It's a fun thinking about it read. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was, was like, wow. So <laughs> Okay, so let's let's talk about the structure of the book. And as we've mentioned already, you know, it's it's not a normal novel structure. It's all interviews. Uh, did you like the format? Why and how did the format impact your reading experience? Um, Era, let's start with you. I loved the format. Underlined and bold loved. It was fantastic. <laughs> he puts his exposition kind of in the quote the thoughts of the journalist himself. So you mm-hmm. kind of get little tidbits. He gives you breadcrumbs through his quote thoughts. And then he footnotes. Uh, we, we talked about the footnotes earlier. He mm-hmm. footnotes kind of like past, quote, reality. So, for example, he'll use a common term like Humvee, and then he'll footnote it. A Humvee was a former military vehicle used in the 20th century. So it's so you're getting the sense of these are people who live in a completely different world than we, than we live in currently, and he's kind of giving you that, that extra level of, of world building by doing that. So I loved it. The other part that I loved is that he actually goes to, he, he makes an effort that when he's talking, excuse me, that when he's doing the quote interview with somebody from, for example, he used Memphis, Tennessee at some point in the book, the person's cadence from the way he wrote it, that's the cadence of somebody who is from Memphis. So that's what made me realize <laughs> yep. he's actually like using, he's trying to make an effort to use the dialect of people from the different parts of the world. That, that he's talking that he's referencing and that that kind of level of detail blew me away and made me love that mm-hmm. what about you red so one of the things that i agree with everything era said 
one of the things I also appreciate about the book is that it's clear that he put some research and thought into it. Uh, the cadence part, I probably didn't notice as much because the actors are doing the cadence. So I didn't necessarily notice as much when it was in the physical format. Um, but there are certain things. And I never served, but I grew up in a family where everybody served. And there are certain things like he uses the term brown water navy correctly. And you hardly ever see that in a novel. Like mm. you never even see that phrase. Um, and my dad, my dad was blue water navy, but I know what brown water navy is there's just there's little touches like that mm -hmm. um that like even if i don't know directly about whatever he's talking about i know that he at least put some thought into it mm -hmm. you know he has the whole thing with the um the the tenth person in the israel decimation? no or no 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 okay let's, let's yeah let's, let's save that okay <laughs> okay well i mean i don't think that's really a spoiler but um yeah so he he really actually put a lot of thought in the book. Um, also, I like the way that he bolds off um, when an interview, a interviewee is doing something. Mm -hmm. He'll have it mm -hmm. in bold um, and with brackets. And then when he asks a question, it's in bold. And I think it's italic. Mm -hmm. Yes. So that it, when you're reading it, it's really easy to see who's speaking, what they're doing, mm -hmm. and um, what's going on. Yeah. I thought that the interview format was pretty genius of a way to tell a story about a zombie apocalypse because it's telling it from the perspective of survivors and you know i already said i don't like horror so with this way of telling the story like i know there's a more positive ending because we already know like hey they survived right humanity has survived and it's about finding out how things happen how did these people survive what did they witness and like we said before, we get so many different perspectives from around the world, from all classes of society, all different views, capabilities, and uh, there are themes in this. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's more like a collection of short stories, but they're all connected together in some way. Eric, were you going to say something? I was going to say that's an excellent point, especially that first point of, I did like the fact that this is a retrospective. They're mm -hmm. past the war and they're, they're looking back. Um, and the only other point I wanted to add is the title of the book actually makes sense once you read it because world, it, he goes through people from different parts of the world. Mm -hmm. War, he talks about the war and Zier the zombie. So, I mean, it's even in the naming of the book, it was a very deliberate choice. And I, I love it when an author kind of is taking the time down to that level of just making sure that everything's right yeah good point uh one more thing i wanted to add is when you're reading it you're gonna get um this like you said it's a collection of short stories but they're not told all at once like the first part of the book are the interviewers or the interviewees are talking about um the initial experience mm -hmm. and it's it is um it is laid out in a broader scheme as a as a whole story because they they space out the different interviews Yes. So you'll talk, yeah, you'll talk to the Russian lady, and then you'll talk to the Russian lady again five chapters later. Yeah, there are some characters where you get uh, a continuation right. of their story throughout the different sections of the book. Yeah, um, that's a good point to bring up, which is, you know, if you look at the table of contents, you can see the different sections that goes from, you know, the early beginnings where people are just starting to like suspect that there's something wrong 
And then there's the, you know, people like blaming each other of, okay, whose fault is this? And then there's the full on panic and so on and so forth. Yeah, it was, it's a pretty well laid out um, structure. Um, okay, so additional things about stylistic choices and, you know, like writing techniques for the book's world building. And we've touched a lot on this. I, I think the only thing I'll add is um, not only does he, like, like Era said in the sub notes that he, sub, sub notes, footnotes, that he references, you know, real, our real world things like a Humvee or some sort of like weapon. But then he also makes references to things that are in the world itself, that like exist in the world itself, right? Like somebody would say, oh, did you read the writings of Renard? And you're like, Renard, who's, who is this person, right? But it's this character in, in the story. Right. Um, or like documentary, right? A, a in-world documentary, and they talk about it in a way that is so believable. You're like, I wanna I wanna see this documentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anything else to add, Red or Era? I'm I'm good. This is this book is a great example of how you can do fantastic world building without using up a lot of real estate. I mean he does this all in less than three hundred pages and he creates a fully realized world in that space. Mm-hmm. All right. We ready to move into spoilers? I am. Oh, something that we forgot we forgot to say is that the audiobook doesn't cover the footnotes. It does. So if you really want the full in-world experience, read the book. <laughs> the um ebook does have the footnotes, by the way. Nice. Okay. Spoiler warning. Um since this is not like a tradition there's not a traditional plot, there there's not a really a plot to spoil. We already know that humanity survives the crisis, but there are the individual stories that are worth reading and discovering on your own. So now's the time to turn off the episode and go read or listen to the book, then come back for the rest of the show. Okay, so in the introduction, Max Brooks says, if there is a human factor that should be removed, let it be my own. My question is, do you think he accomplished this in the book? Red, we'll start with you. I think he did a fairly good job of it. Yeah, I would say he did it. He did a pretty good job of it. Um, he definitely has reactions to what characters are saying. Um, but he's his journalist character is really good at not vocalizing them so much. There's mm -hmm. a few, you know, there's a few places where he's asking leading questions and whatnot. But I mean, yeah, I think he did a pretty good job of it. As as the framing device. Mm -hmm. Era? I mostly agree with Red. I guess the point is when he's clearly contemptuous of somebody, of a character, he's clearly contemptuous of the character. Um, uh, if, if he's, uh, there's a couple of times where like where he clear, where the journalist clearly doesn't understand the culture where the person's coming from. Mm -hmm. And so you can, you can almost sense that he's trying not to react with horror but then there's also, but you can see that pullback because everybody's experiencing their own horror from this war. So there's mm -hmm. that level, there's an extra level of understanding. You see it in the way he frames the questions. Because he'll start off, for example, with the Russian lady, fairly innocuous, and he gets aggressive, and then he immediately pulls back. And mm -hmm. I thought it was a great way to frame it. So I would say yes, except for the people that he's clearly, clearly contemptuous of. But uh, in response to that, 
his because re- it has to do with this little girl running across the field who's been bitten and the whole dynamic um, in the Russian army. And that's what he's reacting to. And it kind of reminded me of World War II, not to get too political, but Russian officers were, were known to shoot their their uh, soldiers when they retreated and things like that. Mm. I think that's what he was drawing from. But so, yeah, he does react a little bit to that for sure. But what's really interesting is, you know, Max Brooks is the author and also the character within the book. And he's saying that, I mean, he, he's the one that wrote this, right? Um, the human factor to be removed, let it be my own. And he's the one who's coming up with the questions and how this Max Brooks journalist would interact with these characters. And so it's it's really interesting that these things that we're picking up where you are seeing the journalist, uh, his own kind of opinions or thoughts show through. The author, Max Brooks, is letting that show through, right? So that's just really interesting. So meta. <laughs> yeah. It's a genius friend. It is. So. No, I think it's great. I'm not complaining. I'm just making yeah. an observation. <laughs> it's it and it it does make it feel that much more realistic, right? If if it were just very sterile of a of a journalist, right? Then that's that's not very realistic. No matter how much we try to remove our own biases. And what I was going to say is, if the author or the journalist is biased, he's biased in the very American everyman way. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like he's having reactions to these characters that most Americans would have to these different cultural values, like shooting the little girl, like picking who gets killed, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Most of us kind of have a, an icky feeling about that. Um, mm-hmm. Even though there's a part of you that's like, yeah, I could see why that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And other cultures are more willing to do something like that. I mean, in a lot of ways, the book is um, the lifeboat dilemma, right? Mm, like, mm-hmm. who do you keep on the lifeboat? Who has to go? What yep. skills are the most valuable? Yeah. You see that, you see that especially in uh, um, the submarine and in the South, South African part, where they're just like, yeah, sorry, we can't take you. We just don't have enough food, and this person knows how to farm, and you're a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> what what <laughs> no um so so there are two overarching themes of how do you react if you react in a collectivist or authoritarian manner versus how do you react if you act in a more democratic kind of uh manner like you know freedom manner and that's kind of explored in the book like they both succeed, they just succeed in different ways. So I thought that was fascinating. And since you mentioned the South African uh, response, uh, the one character that stuck with me after the book was the, the South African point of view, Redhaker. Like I didn't cry, but like I had to put the book down and stop and just that's the part that me that that was like my level three moment in the book, just imagining like what this guy went through kind of planned everything to save as many people as he could and then what that did to him like it uh-huh. fractured it literally fractured his mind and right. yeah. the way max set that up and the way he did the reveal uh-huh. that uh-huh. was the moment i had to put it again 
Like I had to put it down and just go. My mind was blown. And I was just like, I have, I have to just think about this for a while. It was, it was affecting. It was affecting emotionally. And it was, uh, in some ways, it was cathartic just to kind of see that, right? It was a, it was a war-driven story. And I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I read this, you know, a second time. And I was still taken by surprise. I mean, it's been several years since I read it. But like that that progression of you know where we meet the character as like i'm gonna butcher his name zalalaway or zalalawa azania and as he's telling the story of this person paul redeker coming Mm -hmm. up with the plan and then at some point in the story as he's telling it you're like wait a minute is it this guy right Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. that reveal happens and you're like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right? And like I said, we all understand, well, I'm hoping everyone understands the lifeboat dilemma. Like, there's a certain amount of cold, logical sense that those kind of choices make in that right world. Yeah. And the Chinese are actually literally on a lifeboat. I mean, it's a submarine, but it's a lifeboat. <laughs> so. Oh, man. Talk about another story where there's a reveal and it's, like, impactful and emotional that... um you know, the, the captain of the submarine that we follow and his son, who is captain of a submarine that they potentially destroyed, right? And, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I think that's one of the themes that, that he does explore is that, like, you know, people do what they need to do to survive. And, you know, history may look at those people as monsters or not, but there's a human cost to, the, uh, to at least those with the conscience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. Yeah, it's, speaking of like real villains, that that one dude, uh, something Scott, right, hiding in Antarctica, who developed the the vaccine, the rabies vaccine. Uh, what what were your thoughts about that guy? I mean, shots fired at capitalism. I mean, but uh, I, I don't want to get into that. But that's pretty much what the character is, right? But you know, but. I thought that part was well done, just kind of the way the germs can't help but like just be so contemptuous of the guy. <laughs> yeah. I have no comment. Okay. <laughs> I will only get everybody in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, so which, which themes, because we started touching on this, which themes really stood out to you, Era? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> do, we, do we have a... I guess we do have time. Um, look, obviously there was a there was a whole bunch of things. I'm just going to pick one because it was the one that was the most affecting to to me. And you said at the very beginning, the subtle. We literally went through a pandemic, and this book is about a pandemic. And mm-hmm. at first, I'm like, I can't do this, right? But when I went through it, it was so so cathartic. It was. Mm-hmm. It, it was actually liberating to read it because here's a guy in 2006 basically predicting our future, right? And he gets some things wrong, but he gets a lot of things right, right? He gets a lot right, like how people are going to react and how governments are going to respond. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. And just, just reading that, you know, it actually it did two things. A, it was liberating. And two, it's kind of like, like, seriously, this is why we read books. You, you have, like, this safe space where you can explore all these real-life things that are going to happen. And 
see it played out on a page so you know how you would respond, how you would react for you to encounter in real life. Or by contrast, it's almost like I said, like a cathartic moment of, oh my God, I'm not crazy. Other people see this too. Oh God, thank you. Right? So um, that's the one thing I'm going to pick. Mm-hmm. I agree. I Yeah, I agree too. It is actually when you read the first part of the book, it is eerie. <laughs> <laughs> and we talked a lot about this on the DMs and we're not going to explore it too much. But um, yeah, it's eerie. But the thing that I like about the book is that this is obviously some years in the future, post-pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. It's not. So we're only 18 months out or whatever. Um, the way people start adapting and how they deal with things differently at the end of the book versus the beginning of the book. And the fact that there's um, progression and that things do get better and we do come through and hopefully some, like it never really um, brings resolution to whether or not these solutions are better or that the world is all going to get along now. Um, But the fact that we worked through it and like we found a way and it, it just makes you feel better. And then also, um, two things that I just loved in this book is the Russians going through the Arctic and smashing up the frozen zombies. Uh-huh. I just thought that, like, I want to smash some coronavirus right now, <laughs> but I can't because it's too little. But just like little things like that that are almost funny. Yeah. Not, not quite funny. And the fact that the Japanese did it, he kills, he walks through the forest and just kills the zombies and he buries them all and treats them with respect. And there's just like these little touches that, look, we can get through this. So yeah, cathartic is a good word. Yeah, there there is a hopeful tone, even though it is a very scary reality in this world. Yeah, um, I think you both said it really well, so I won't belabor this uh, topic. So we've talked about some of the stories that we enjoy and were impactful. Um, are there any others you want to add before we move on in the conversation? I, I do. I want to talk about Sharon. And she's the little okay. girl who's in the um, psych ward. The church? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. And she basically acts out the entire, her entire experience in, her, yeah, she's in the church and she's talking about the church and she makes... She basically narrates she narrates it with um sound and sound effects and does different voices for all the different characters. And her mother is like, I won't let them kill you or they, I won't le- let them get you. And it's pretty obvious that her mother is gonna kill her. Mm-hmm. Um and eventually somebody else rescues her and she runs away. And she's like the it's implied she's the only survivor from this church. Right. And that was a situation where I put myself in this in the spot of the mother and you're going to be overrun with zombies and which is better to do. And that's a real choice. A lot of people have faced in real life. Mm-hmm. And so that was something that really, and also probably as a mom <laughs> really yeah. affected me. <laughs> yeah. Cause um, there was another, another woman, right. It was like the pastor's wife mm-hmm. and it, it's not explicitly said, but it's pretty clearly implied that, you know, there was this little girl, this other little girl who was upset and crying as the zombies were attacking them. And this pastor's wife told the girl basically to be quiet. And then you hear a whack, right, against the right. wall. Yeah. And then there's no crying. Yep. So, yeah, that entire scene, that, that entire interview was just very 
chilling and you know how Sharon as she's like recounting the stories she like looks to the doctors like can I am I allowed to make the noises of the zombies can I recreate it and they're like yes and she's she goes into it and it's like oh yeah well, and and you find out that that's why she's in the padded room is because her her sounds upset the other patients yeah yeah and she was Ooh. eight I want to say when it happened hmm? so that's a great choice yeah um, Era, do you have one you want to bring up? Yeah. So, I mean, um, obviously, there's there's a lot of good stories. There's the you know, obviously the the whole Russians. There's the Japanese. There's the Israelis. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the cannibals. Um, oh yeah. Oh, I forgot about them. And you know, like how afterwards they're gonna are we going to like, prosecute these people for you know atrocities? Anyways, um, right. the one that the one that stuck with me was the 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 female. Air Force pilot who uh, was struck down and she was trying to make it through and she had the other woman in her ear telling her what to do and forcing her to go on. Yeah. Um, right. And then at the end, I, I guess I'm attracted to the broken people in this book. Um, at the end, you find out that that person in your ear doesn't exist. Right. right. And it's all from her. It's all in her mind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's actually a real thing that, that, that does happen to people where they literally hear hear a voice, and it's their mind kind of trying to find a way to get them to do something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the the way they did that, like it it didn't happen to me, but I had a friend who was uh, in combat, and he described a similar type of thing. And just reading how Max wrote that, when I said there were chills that went down my spine, that was, I mean. It was like I was hearing my friend telling me his story all over again. Oh wow! And it was, right. it was just uncanny, and it was it was really affecting. And uh, that particular character was a complete and total bad A. Loved her, loved her story. So, anyways, it was a uh, to me that was another problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was reading that story, um, I started making little notes of the things that were giving away that hey, maybe this other woman doesn't actually exist and it's all in her her mind. You know, like, she would, the, the other woman on the line would say, hey, didn't you forget to do something when right. she's about to leave the, the crash site of her colleague? Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, how did you know, right? Um, and then she made sure to to kill her colleague because he's, he's already going to uh, turning. And then there's like, oh, haven't you flown this route? Like, so many times do you not remember the terrain it's like oh yeah i have just like all these moments it's so well done it's not like overt but it, it's clear that it's there yeah. as well if you're paying enough attention and then at the end of the story she still insists that this woman is real right for her she's like does it matter like to me it's real so before what's yours Oh man, I've got uh, I made a whole list, but I I won't go through all of it. One of the ones that I really enjoyed was Alan Alda um, narrating Arthur Sinclair, and that was about the whole classism. Um, oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh, wow. oh yeah! yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That's a great choice. That's a great <laughs> really choice. Good. Yeah, go ahead. No, go, go, go. That's a great choice. Um, where and we kind of touched on this, where it's like you know. It, when when the world it was quote unquote normal before before the pandemic like all these people making a lot of money just sitting in an office like taking calls and doing all that but during the zombie apocalypse 
it was really the blue collar workers who were really valuable, who can, you know, like fix plumbing, who can do hard labor, who had those like skills that involve more than just knowing how to work a computer or a phone or talking, right? Um, Which would be all of us who are podcasting (laughs) right now. (laughs) And it's, it just is such a realistic way of looking at the situation. You know, it kind of does make me think a little bit like, hey, you know, in, in my free time, uh, well, how I choose to use my time that I have, right? Like, should I just sit around and watch TV or maybe I should pick up some skills that <laughs> would help me to survive if not, not necessarily a zombie apocalypse, but, you know, some, I mean, we do have climate challenges here, so you know, something, something like that happens. And yeah, it just makes you really kind of reprioritize how you're spending your time. We're all all sitting here doing a podcast right now. I know, but we're talking about thinking about (laughs) That's true. Step number one, (laughs) awareness. Hi, hi. Editing Panda here. We just wanted to take a moment to say thank you to all the essential workers. If any of you are listening, Thank you so very much from doctors, nurses, paramedics to grocery workers, delivery workers, postal workers, teachers, and so many more. Thank you. I will, I will say this is that, like, look, we, we just picked three uh, different other four stories, but we, we picked three different parts of the book. But literally, like, I think any of us could have picked any one of a dozen of others. There are so mm-hmm. many good stories. I mean, there's so many good stories. I'm just saying the ones that just stuck with me. Mm-hmm. He's Ar- Arthur's talking to our to Max Brooks, and he's talking about this. This is about the blue collar, collar thing. And uh, Arthur says, she kept addressing her that instructor by her first name. Magda, she kept saying. Magda, enough already. Magda, please. At first, I thought this woman was just being rude, degrading the instructor by refusing to use her title. I found out later that Mrs. Magda Antonovia used to be the woman's cleaning lady. Mm-hmm. Yes. I laughed so hard when I read that. <laughs> yes. Be nice to everyone. Don't belittle people. You never know what's going to happen and you might need their help. Well, and have an open mind because, I mean, like, if you don't know something and somebody's willing to teach you something, don't look down on it. Pick up a new mm-hmm. skill. I mean, seriously. Yep. Well, and, and just because you're an expert in one thing doesn't mean you're an expert in everything. There's lots of sure, people yeah. who know a lot more about other stuff. Yeah. I just laughed so hard when I read that. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you for pulling that quote. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. And like Ara said, there's so many stories we could talk about, um, but we don't have all the time. so. Let's talk about, uh, okay, here, here's a question for you. So Jessica Hendricks, her, her story was the one about uh, the people going north to the colder areas to, to flee the zombies and the, the whole cannibalism. It wasn't ever explicitly spelled out on the page. And that, that's the thing is like, there are so many subtleties. And you, if you pay attention, you can pick out all these things. But there there was definitely cannibalism. Mm-hmm. So if you were in Jessica Hendricks's situation, what would you take with you 
because she she mentions like oh these people were taking like dvds and like all these other luxury things playstations (laughs) yeah um and then the second part of the question is would you resort to cannibalism the tough questions who wants to go first (laughs) well this i I, i'm completely seriously when i was reading that section of the book i was like you know maybe i should get together like a box of crap if i have to run (laughs) yeah or whatever um there's a name for it i can't think what it is but maybe you know an earthquake and i need to you know something like that uh yeah not i'm not worried if the zombie apocalypse comes i will join the zombies probably (laughs) because i'm really not cut out for apocalypse living but um i don't know if i would resort to cannibalism i can't say i would like to think no Mm -hmm. but i might i might we take i take all our camping gear 100 percent um we probably head out west because uh have some family out there i probably wouldn't make it my wife probably would she's pretty practical um (laughs) so uh i had limits on things i would do um when it comes to our kids i would say i personally wouldn't resort to cannibalism but if it's somebody else for my kids then that's somebody else is gonna buy it Mm. and i will whatever it takes for my kids that's just bottom line if it came down to that i'm gonna do what i need to do to take care of my kids and that's exactly what Jessica's parents did, right? So that's that's the part. Like when we went out with that part, and that's what the parents decided to do. I wanted to say no, no, but then I was sort of thinking, no, actually, yeah, that, that's yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. So I actually did go to this like class. I guess it, it was just like one session in a community center where they taught you you know, some basic tips about what to pack for a disaster uh, preparation situation. And it's like, you know, make sure you have the, what's it called? Like a freezer packed food um, mm. or like granola bars. Those are great things that'll keep longer and don't need cooking. Um, having a water filtration um, straw um, and, you know, some basic first aid and, also, like your fridge is very, it's, it's fireproof. So keep uh, like money or like valuables in the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> like put it in a Ziploc bag and put it in the freezer. Because if your like house burns down or anything, at least that'll survive. Um, like your passports, uh, identification papers, that kind of stuff. I learned all of that and um, I don't think I've actually actioned on any of it. <laughs> no, it's something that I always mean to do when I think about it, and then it never, yeah, it never happens. I don't even own camping gear. I own some sleep, some really good sleeping bags, but other than that, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I yeah. T- time to go to like REI and uh, you know right? a sports <laughs> camp store. <laughs> can't can't be good outdoors. Store. Uh, I'll be I'll be riding my son. He loves to fish, so. Uh... We're going to be somewhere near near water so we can fish for us. Nice. Speaking of useful uh, skills. so Yes. So uh, Era is going to come to the West Coast and we're going to regroup and we'll have a survival <laughs> pod. <laughs> yeah, you never answered the cannibalism before. Uh, yeah, I'm getting there. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, I would hold out for as long as I could and I'm, I'm going to be real, like I do get really hangry, so <laughs> I, I probably would. Uh, 
But at the same time, you know, I may actually be the one that that dies first, gets cannibalized. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm like, I'm not cut out for post-apocalyptic worlds. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Well, okay. Anything else uh, you, either of you want to add to this episode before we start closing out? I mentioned something about the t- the 10th man in Israel. Yes. And Eris said we get back to it, so I wanted to hear what he had to say. So for those of you who don't know, there's this whole subplot where there's always the person who has to say, but what if it's true? So they hear the rumors of zombieism, and everyone's like, no, but the 10th guy at the table, he, no matter what he actually thinks, he has to defend the proposition. So what did you have to say about that, Era? So yeah, so I mean, actually in companies, there's the person called the ombudsman. That's kind of his job. Like, in a way, hey, look, you know, I don't mind somebody giving an idealized version of Israel. Um, I don't think that's the way Israel would actually um, act um, in that way. But I do think in terms of having a 10th man or somebody to always kind of be, the, hey, let's question this or let's push against the boundaries of what we think is or, or likely. Um, I think that's useful in any type of group. And it, obviously in this story, it served them well. What do you guys think? Yeah, one of the things that I learned um, when I was doing my my college degree is, you know, be be wary of groupthink, and you you see the impacts of groupthink throughout history. We won't get into the details of that, but basically, just entertain the idea, especially when it's something that could be so uh, significant and impactful. Just take a moment and just say, "But what if? What if it's?" true what if it is this way you might think it's impossible but entertain and and that's the thing is also um not just in dire situations but for innovation and creativity right right? right? like if we keep limiting ourselves in the way that we think then how are we going to progress so i i think that it does have application outside of um zombie apocalypse (laughs) no i just thought that that was a really interesting factor in the book and my understanding that it's actually something that exists in organizations and whatnot and i just thought that was really cool and Mm -hmm. i liked it i even think that it's part of the israeli the israeli government actually does use that so that it's a real thing but i don't know that could be wrong i could misunderstand i think era you were saying that the way that it's portrayed in the book is a very idealistic. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's I'm a, not. It's, I just, a, it's a very idealized version of what Israel is. So, I mean, maybe it's more like Israel of the 1960s or the early 1970s, less so than now. I mean, everybody kind of like looks back at their past and looks at those right. colored glasses. I just thought it was a cool little aspect mm-hmm. of the book. Right. right. No, I, <clears throat> and, and I do agree with that 100%. I don't know that the tenth man would ever actually defend a, a zombie apocalypse. Like, well, I no, I mean, look, I mean, <laughs> uh, I thought you were kind of going with. So Israel had the tenth man and the, the Debbie Dowder, right? The, the person kind of questioning everything. Versus the United States, they kind of went another one. They didn't have that tenth man, right? Right, so exactly. I, exactly. I don't want to get into the politics of it, but you had one country with a tenth man and one country without, and there were radically different responses. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Result. Exactly. So that's what I thought you were going with. That. That's that's exactly where I'm going with it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. So 
would you recommend this book? And if so, who would you recommend this book to? Era. I would say enthusiastic yes, and I would recommend it to anybody who's gone through a pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Red. I would not recommend it to a zombie fan. (laughs) Oh, yeah? Okay. No. I mean, I love zombies. This book is not about zombies. Uh, But I would definitely recommend it, um, especially if you like politics, which we did not talk about hardly at all. But there's lots of politics. And also anybody who's lived through a pandemic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... I, I definitely recommend this book. Uh, I, I wanted us to cover it on the podcast. So there's that. Who I would recommend this to? People who just want to see things from all sorts of different perspectives and really like understand or at least get a glimpse into the different psychologies and social impacts that, you know, may or may not mirror our own realities. <laughs> and for some people like we've said it could be really cathartic and it's also very entertaining even though Mm -hmm. it's a very you know gruesome situation it's also very entertaining and you know how the the pacing works the storytelling the different footnotes oh by the way i did mention that there was a footnote that referenced transformers yes yeah So um, this is the Parnell Air National Guard Base, Tennessee, uh, and this is Gavin Blair's um, story. And they were talking about this gun called the Meg. And the footnote is Meg, the pilot's nickname for their standard issue uh, .22 automatic pistol. It is suspected that the appearance of the weapon, its extended suppressor, folding stock, and telescopic sight give it the appearance of the old Hasbro Transformers toy, Megatron. Oh, this no. This fact has yet to be confirmed. Oh, no. And uh, if listeners don't know, I, I do love me uh, some Transformers um, content. So <clears throat> I was very, very happy I could <laughs> plug this in here. <laughs> A plus. A plus. Good job, Panda. That was awesome. That was Thank awesome. You. I can't believe I missed it. That was awesome. I, I missed it too. I was like panda flying. The the audiobook <laughs> won't won't have that little piece of uh content, so read the read the physical book as well. Oh, I guess like, you know, we were very positive um about this book and we did talk about a few criticisms, but one of one of the things that I would have liked to see more in this book is we, we get some glimpses of it, but not fully explored is like the extent of the impact of the the animals because we do know that the zombies did go after the animals right you know like burrowing you know after moles and whatever um and like all the whales are dead like what is what are the impacts to the world you know because of the the decimation of or the you know extinction of these animals and then there was some mention of the environmental impacts where like hey nuclear bombs were detonated and so there were like in these nuclear winters there's radiation and so it would have been you know i if he had like written a sequel or like a novella following this up i would have liked to see more exploration of those two things 
In fairness, I, I agree that's a legitimate criticism. In fairness to Max Brooks, he can't interview the surviving animals because they don't know <laughs> but he could interview like you know the biologists or right. the zoologists I'm, yeah I'm totally like what happened to all the you. zoos you know we we didn't get anything about the zoos so i read a post-apocalyptic it's a different series one of the things that happens is that the zookeepers let out all of the zoo animals in mm. the book. and so like mm -hmm. three books later in the series like America has a huge lion and tiger problem. Oh my gosh. Because we have the most lions and tigers in the world, in our country. Oh, wow. And so we let them all out and they all started breeding and there's a lot of dead people. So they start like taking over the planes and stuff. Wow. Anyway. Yeah. Any Anything else to add criticisms or otherwise? You make a good point. That's also part of the world building he did. He leaves you wanting to know more about the world. And <laughs> that's, a, that's a credit to his world building. Mm -hmm. I will enthusiastically endorse this book, recommend this book to anybody who just wants to have a different reading experience. It's novel, it's not it's novel, haha, for a for a fantasy <laughs> book. But it's really, really good. I mean, you see it in other in, in non fantasy settings, you see this type of writing, but I love it the way he did it in this book. Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for our discussion on World War Z by Max Brooks. Connect with us on the Legendarium Discord. The link can be found on thelegendarium.com. We're on Twitter. Find us at Green Team Pod. Thanks, Craig, for loaning us a small corner of your media empire. And uh, yeah, please consider supporting the Legendarium via Patreon. Thank you, Eridandis, Little Red Book. I'm Befuddle Panda. Until next time, bye. Bye. We did it. Is this better? Uh, talk longer. <laughs> I can talk longer. Well, that, that's actually a problem of mine. If I keep on talking, then uh, Red's going to tell me to shut up eventually. So I'm actually trying to be. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk. This is perfect. <laughs> okay.